Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity Book 1. Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe Chapter 5. We Have Cause to Be Uneasy I ended my last chapter with the idea that in the moral law somebody or something from beyond the material universe was actually getting at us. And I expect, when I reached that point, some of you felt a certain annoyance. You may even have thought that I had played a trick on you, that I had been carefully wrapping up to look like philosophy what turns out to be one more religious jaw. You may have felt you were ready to listen to me as long as you thought I had anything new to say. But if it turns out to be only religion, well, the world has tried that, and you cannot put the clock back. If anyone is feeling that way, I should like to say three things to him. First, as to putting the clock back, would you think I was joking if I said that you can put a clock back, and that if the clock is wrong, it is often a very sensible thing to do? But I would rather get away from that whole idea of clocks. We all want progress. But progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. We have all seen this when doing arithmetic. When I have started a sum the wrong way, the sooner I admit this and go back and start again, the faster I shall get on. There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it is pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistake. We are on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. Then, secondly, this has not yet turned exactly into a religious jaw. We have not yet got as far as the god of any actual religion, still less the god of that particular religion called Christianity. We have only got as far as a somebody or something behind the moral law. We are not taking anything from the Bible or the churches. We are trying to see what we can find out about this somebody on our own steam. And I want to make it quite clear that what we find out on our own steam is something that gives us a shock. We have two bits of evidence about the somebody. One is the universe he has made. If we used that as our only clue, then I think we should have to conclude that he was a great artist, for the universe is a very beautiful place, but also that he is quite merciless and no friend to man, for the universe is a very dangerous and terrifying place. The other bit of evidence is that moral law which he has put into our minds. And this is a better bit of evidence than the other, because it is inside information. You find out more about God from the moral law than from the universe in general, just as you find out more about a man by listening to his conversation than by looking at a house he has built. Now, from this second bit of evidence, we conclude that the being behind the universe is intensely interested in right conduct, in fair play, 
unselfishness, courage, good faith, honesty, and truthfulness. In that sense, we should agree with the account given by Christianity and some other religions that God is good. But do not let us go too fast here. The moral law does not give us any grounds for thinking that God is good in the sense of being indulgent, or soft, or sympathetic. There is nothing indulgent about the moral law. It is as hard as nails. It tells you to do the straight thing, and it does not seem to care how painful, or dangerous, or difficult it is to do. If God is like the moral law, then he is not soft. It is no use at this stage saying that what you mean by a good God is a God who can forgive. You are going too quickly. Only a person can forgive. And we have not yet got as far as a personal God. Only as far as a power behind the moral law. And more like a mind than it is like anything else. But it may still be very unlike a person. If it is pure impersonal mind, there may be no sense in asking it to make allowances for you or let you off, just as there is no sense in asking the multiplication table to let you off when you do your sums wrong. You are bound to get the wrong answer, and it is no use either saying that if there is a God of that sort, an impersonal absolute goodness, then you do not like him and are not going to bother about him. For the trouble is that one part of you is on his side and really agrees with his disapproval of human greed and trickery and exploitation. You may want him to make an exception in your own case, to let you off this one time. But you know at bottom that unless the power behind the world really and unalterably detests that sort of behavior, then he cannot be good. On the other hand, we know that if there does exist an absolute goodness, it must hate most of what we do. This is the terrible fix we are in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day, and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. We cannot do without it, and we cannot do with it. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need, and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. Goodness is either the great safety or the great danger, according to the way you react to it. And we have reacted the wrong way. Now my third point. When I chose to get to my real subject in this roundabout way, I was not trying to play any kind of trick on you. I had a different reason. My reason was that Christianity simply does not make sense until you have faced the sort of facts I have been describing. Christianity tells people to repent, and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of, and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. 
It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind the law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It is after all this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. When you know you are sick, you will listen to the doctor. When you have realized that our position is nearly desperate, you will begin to understand what the Christians are talking about. They offer an explanation of how we got into our present state of both hating goodness and loving it. They offer an explanation of how God can be this impersonal mind at the back of the moral law, and yet also a person. They tell you how the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been met on our behalf. How God himself becomes a man to save man from the disapproval of God. It is an old story. And if you want to go into it, you will no doubt consult people who have more authority to talk about it than I have. All I am doing is to ask people to face the facts, to understand the questions which Christianity claims to answer. And they are very terrifying facts. I wish it was possible to say something more agreeable, but I must say what I think true. Of course, I quite agree that the Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I have been describing. And it is no use at all trying to go on to that comfort without first going through that dismay. In religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and, in the end, despair. Most of us have got over the pre-war wishful thinking about international politics. It is time we did the same about religion. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow, and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>